Hi, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. My guest today is Ruthie Darling, and we're going to talk about why that's her name. Uh, I have, this is the first time I'm seeing Ruthie in person, so to speak. But Ruthie, I feel like I've known you for years already, and I don't know why. So I'm just going to go to you and let you have a chance to say hello. Hi, Janet. I think we were sisters in another life because I feel like I know you too. I know. Isn't that odd how that happens? You are so familiar to me and you were like from the first email. Anyway, you're a writer and you write children's books. I do. And I you... write children's books for all ages. Okay. And well, I'm, I'm going to ask you for examples of things later, but tell me why you became a children's book for all ages writer. It was accidental. Uh, it was not anything I ever planned. I started writing, I'm Jewish, and I went ahead, and this is in, in the late 70s, and I, my kids were home. My, I have three children. My two girls were in bed with me. We were sick. And I said, you know, there are no Easter stories for there are no uh, stories for children that don't celebrate Easter. So I started writing this thing. Now you have to understand, I am the ultimate optimist. I thought what I wrote was absolutely wonderful. And guess what? In retrospect, it was absolutely horrible. But oh, my brain okay. doesn't work that way. Well, okay. So I even, sent, I even sent this story in to Random House. What did they say? They sent me back a very nice letter, which they don't even do anymore. They sent me a personalized letter and they said they couldn't use it, but it had its, it, 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 it evolved. And what started out as down in Easterton became Mr. Mubble short for trouble. And it starts out with Mr. Mubble short for trouble, looked in the mirror and saw his mean double and Mr. Mubble is a bubble. That's now, how tell, I got started. Tell me, in, in, tell me in retrospect, what did you, because I think I'll tell you an experience I had with the first thing I ever wrote that I thought was a genius piece of work. It was, I was in the third grade and I forged my mother's, I'll tell you later. I thought it was great. But um, what, looking back, what did you think was great about the story? It was the redemption of a villain. And it's not meant to be Grinch-like and it's not meant to be Dr. Seuss-like and I had it really long and then I've shortened it and I've done all kinds of things, but again, the Egnick in the first version became Mr. Mubble and he is redeemed. And you know what, all of my stories, this what's interesting about what it is I have done is all unintentional. Everything's got a message of spreading love. I, I don't know where it came from. Well, it comes from your heart and probably how you were raised because your name is Ruthie Darling. And why is your name Ruthie Darling? Well, my mother was not well, okay? But in her good times, she uh, she would call me Ruthie Darling. And I thought if it was good enough for Peter Pan, for the Peter Pan, the Darling family, oh. then it was good enough for me. And you know what? I tried it out on kids and they love it. They sure. loved it and they love it. Now, what did you, what did you, you know, I know that when you write children's stories, any stories, you, you, there's something you want to be giving to these children. There's some message you want, something strengthening, something encouraging, something what? What do you want to give children through your story? I want it, you know what somebody said to me, I was at a place called Brighton Collectibles and I get my charms here. I have these, uh -huh. my storybook charm necklace. 
necklaces. And there was a woman in there and the manager said, you've got to meet this lady, introduced me to her. And she said, you know what? She said, this is like a self-help book for children. The one in particular, and, and they all, beside, well, most of them, a good number of them are, Mrs. Libra and Zoe Zebra, and, I, and I'm not you know, pushing anything here, but Mrs. Libra and Zoe Zebra is about a two-year-old who wants to change what she looks like. She wants to change the stripes on her face. And I need these to be credible too. Now, no two zebras look alike, okay? They're all identical. They're all unidentical. No two twins are identical. I DNA is different. Yes, yes, yes. And what happened was there are three concepts in this learning to accept and appreciate yourself for who you are. We're all a small part of nature's designs and beauty is from within. So you get the message there immediately. Yes, I mean, I think that's, I think that's why we read stories to our children. We want somehow to strengthen them. And when I think back of the stories that I was read when I was little, they all were that. They, and there was usually, there, there wasn't, well, there was the ugly duckling and that was the one lesson that we had. Right. In that you get to end up beautiful, even though everybody else in the little gaggle is making fun of you because you're so ugly and you're not pretty like the other ducklings. And then you grow up to be the swan. So that's, you know, but there wasn't a lot of that. I think there's more of that now. What there was, which really fascinates me, is there was fear. There was Hansel and Gretel, and there was the big bad wolf, and there was always some child in danger, God bless the Grimm brothers, there was some child in horrible danger of dying a grisly death at the hands of the ogre. And then what happens? Bad stories, horrible stories, scary. They're horrible stories, but in every one of those stories, the children are victorious. They have through their own wits, fooled the ogre and escaped and we always had happy endings. And I think that is so important for children to realize that despite their size and inexperience that they could still outwit the ogre. Well, uh, yes, and I agree with you. Now there's another one I have, Miranda the panda. And the concept is she leaves the zoo because the gate's been left open. And again, I'm not pushing these on here because I know you Sweetheart, don't. Do you're that. so and, you're so entitled. I don't consider it pushing them. If you describe what they are, you're more than welcome to. Well, Go she ahead. leaves the zoo. She goes into town. She creates havoc where she goes, but that's okay. And you know, people are very, you know, again, you can take artistic license. She returns, but it's not the grass is greener on the other side. When she walks back into the zoo, she's thinking to herself because she's not speaking out loud, so she's it's a thought bubble. Nothing is new. And you know what? Sometimes that is the best of all worlds is when things stay nice and even. Okay? Oh, I agree. But the main concept is when she returns and they are very sociable animals. She returns and the thing in the concept, the main concept is people look elsewhere when everything they need is in front of them. If you know anybody like that, what's bigger, what's faster, what's better? Somebody, uh, somebody once said, gee, why aren't I there? What are, what are you at? I mean, somebody goes to a party, the party's horrible, but if they talk to a person that wasn't included and a person says, hey, you know, how was the party? Oh my God, it was wonderful. They're not gonna tell them. Well, by the way, speaking of parties, you know, it's that inability to live in and appreciate the moment. I think exactly. About. And I try to stay in the present. I learned this from a friend. I try to stay 
in the present time. I try to not look back. Looking back doesn't get you anything. I try to not look forward because who knows what's going to happen two minutes and from now. Want, and you do for the for the positive of it. You want to be open yeah. to the surprises, right? Correct. What, what, what were the things that you were terrified of as a child, if you remember? remember? You know, you know something, the reason I'm asking is stories are very often children's stories about fear. On the other hand, so are adult stories. Look at all the Marcus Welby and police stories. And we have the adult version also. Yes. I but can tell you, and I had a, a, a shattering experience because when I was 17, I was in New York visiting relatives. <laughs> I got on the subway train on a Saturday and somebody started stalking me. And you know, your reflexes are a lot faster than they are when you're 39. <laughs> like you are now? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. <laughs> anyway, what what happened was I, every time I moved, he moved. And the New York, and you know the New York stories, everyone was hiding behind their newspaper. No one was doing anything. I was on an express train. There were two stops to go. I planted myself next to the door before we got to the second last stop. I'm telling you, if you talk to anybody that believes in angels, the universe, God, they were all around me and protecting me because when I thought that the doors were ready to close because that's a conductor's call, guess what? I ran out and he ran right behind me and the door slammed on him. Now I dare anyone to defy that. Right, okay, hand of God. Well, you know- Hand I, of God, I, I, absolutely. I was thinking of something else, but this is this is excellent because I think most people have had terrifying moments in real life, but there are cultural differences. Fears change. When I was a girl, which was maybe even before you were a girl, because I think I'm older than you are. And one of the I'm sorry. most terrifying yeah. things was quicksand. Do you oh, fear of quicksand? Yeah, where did you live? I didn't live near quicksand. Huh. Well, you know, when you would see movies and television and there's always some cowboy getting swallowed up, but there right. was general fear of quicksand culturally all over. That's what children were afraid. They don't even know what it is now. Huh. People used to be afraid of different diseases. Well, we got some Lulus now that we didn't have then. So fears change, but handling fear doesn't, right? You know what? I, again, you, you know, I learned something in a seminar once. You know what you know, you know what you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. And you know what? I'd be the last one to tell anyone. I mean, you know what? I've gained a lot of wisdom over the years, and I try to use it for good. Again, my thing is I love seeing people smile. I love making people happy. I, I don't know, this is just part of me. Somebody said, this is ego-driven. I said, it is not ego-driven. I said, I love what I do and I do what I love. Right. And it kind of is beside the point if, if you can do something good and you make people feel good, to say that it's ego-driven is kind of besides the, beside the point. But tell me what, when you were, when you were a little girl, you lived in New York? Yeah, until I was until I was eight, going on nine. And, and then we moved to Milwaukee. Brothers and sisters. One sister. And what does she do? She's retired. Okay. Yes. Uh, and 
when your children now, you have obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, copies of books around the house. Do you I have do. children? I have, I live with my daughter out here, my daughter Marnie, and my other two are in Chicago. My son is in Chicago and my daughter is in Chicago. Yes. So and, she, me, and they can't come out because of this COVID thing. Right, I know. Tell me, tell me just more about you and growing up and what were your, what were the things you were best at as a child? You know what? I tell you, you probably have never even heard of the word. I am what is called dyscalculic. It's a sister to dyslexic. And those people, I researched it. And people who are in, in Einstein was dyscalculic. And what does this mean? Very, um, it's more than transposing numbers because you know, dis, you know what dyslexic is. Sure. This, this affected me from probably moderate to severe. I couldn't learn how to swim because of it. Yeah, I could not jump it, rope. How did, how did that affect swimming? The, the, uh, the coordination. Oh, interesting. I could not learn how to play a guitar because I could not, the, the chords did not remain in my head. You haven't heard of any. This is a, it's it's very unusual. I've never heard of it. Jumping rope is tricky at best. Yes. I couldn't um I couldn't hit a tennis ball where it was at. I had to perceive it to be in another place. And how I got it was and they don't even know how people, you know, why people have this. I broke my leg as a toddler. I had just gone from crawling Mm -hmm. walking broke my leg because I wanted to see what would happen if I put it into the spindles of a banister and made a U-turn. Oh, oh. <laughs> it didn't come out <laughs> before I started. Yeah, I had to start crying to get to get somebody over oh, to get to so help painful. me. <laughs> and it cross-wired my development because then I went from the walking back to the crawling back to the walking. Well, that's kind of interesting. Okay. But it's enabled me to write in rhyme so I, you know what, I've been doing this for so long. I have honed this to a fine craft because I've been doing this for over 40 years. And I, and you know what, all I can tell you is I love it. I just love this. It just <laughs> lights me up. I'm glad it does. I can see that in your face. Yes. What do you think, what do you think are the, are going to be the ramifications for children now growing up with this COVID and all this isolation and you know, it, I think it depends. There, there are going to be a lot of ramifications. And I think it also depends on how the people involved, how the parents and one parent will handle it one way, another one will handle it another way. And you know what? Who's to tell anybody that they're right or wrong? I'm not, I can't, I try to not sit in judgment. And, I, and I've done that over the years. I think we have all been judgmental. And you know what? People are coming from different places. That's and true they do the best that they know how to do. Well, that's, that's, you can always say that. And, but I'll tell you when I walk down the street and you know, it's weird as can be to see the entire world from every corner of Pakistan and Maine and, and South America, everybody, the entire world is masked and walking right. down in terror. It breaks my heart when I see children with that mask on. You know, you just brought to I have you just brought an interesting food. point up. What did they do? I know that they were wearing that. They, they, I've seen photographs of wearing masks during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic, but I've never seen them on children. You know what? It's a new normal. I mean, it, things changed after that. Things keep evolving. 
thing, I mean, this is like, you know what, the, the Italians, you know, there was the age, you know, Renaissance. This is a, re, uh, a Renaissance of technology. Who knows? Right, yes. I just find it so heartbreaking, these little children, you know, three and four years old. But and, you know what, to yeah. them, it's normal. I guess so, I guess so. I mean, if they don't, if you don't know any different, you think this is the way it is. Yes, so much. I don't of the think life. they're going to question it at, a, at at one point in time. I think the older ones will question it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know. You know what? I don't. <laughs> I don't have any answers for anything anymore. I mean, I used to when I was younger. I thought, oh, gee, you know what? I I know all the answers and I know all the questions. Then I got to where you know what? I don't know what the questions are, but I still have the answers. Now I put them together. I don't have the answers. I don't have the questions. And I just try to do good. That's interesting, though, how that does change when we're younger. We do think we know a little more than we do. And yeah, I mean, like, what did you, what, what, I would say to my kids, gee, what did I do before you were born? <laughs> how did I get through the world? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> are you now, are you still writing now? I have over seven, I have about 75 stories on my hard drive. Now, because I had the shoulder surgery, I've been delayed, but I have two more ready to put, you know, into files and send in to get the galleys on them. And my, that, so that will make six out. Then I have my seventh one. My illustrator has that one. That's called the one-stop adopt shop. More than a cat and a dog and a frog on a log. I was going to ask about illustration. So you have an illustrator. I have an illustrator. And yeah. he just, you know what? He's very, he's like me. He's very visual, obviously. And we've never met, but like you, I feel oh. like I know him. He's just got the most affable nature. He's just a pleasure to work with. Yes, I have found that during all this isolation, that the blessing of the miracle of the internet, somehow we're given things as we need them in life, I guess. And I have found that people I have met or people that I'm close with and I don't get to hug anymore, see in person, somehow this seems really lovely. It seems like a real visit. You know, somebody said, a friend said this to me. Did he say it to me? No, he, he messaged it to me. Here's this thing. He's an entertainer. He's a dancer. He does all kinds of things. He's wonderful. And he, uh, he, and I'm not going to use his name because I don't know that he would want that or not. Sure. But he said to me, God will supply. And I believe that what I have is a God-given gift. And he even gave me a name. Okay. He calls me Princess of Rhymes. Ruthie Darling, Princess of Rhymes. I said, I love it. Good. Good. Now, what so that's the, my new thing. What were the, I'm just curious. What were the best lessons you learned from your parents in childhood that got you onto some path? You know what? I became a. I went into teaching. Oh, did you? Because you, you because that's just was teaching or or nursing, and that was you know that was what. So that's what I chose, and I mentioned to you that I had a mother who was not well. You did. So at in well times, she was a wonderful person. But what I'm emphasizing here, without getting into detail, is. We need to be aware of mental illness. Yes. This is so important. And you know what? People in the world, and I understand this too. They look, if they see a, a, an arm in a cast, they understand it. They don't understand a mind that is broken. You can't cast it. 
And I've learned valuable lessons from it. I just numerous. I, I couldn't even begin. I couldn't even start talking about it. And it's so prevalent. Well, you know, it's important what you're saying. I mean, I'm aware of the fact more now because I'm older, I guess. But when somebody reacts badly to you or somebody is barking at you on the street or a salesperson, you know, to get angry back, you don't know what is going on inside. You don't know what tortures other people are facing and somehow doing their best to get through the days with it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just... I, you know what? I'm like a television screen. What you see is what you get. <laughs> I think maybe sometimes I should be more filtered, but you know what? I'm just, I'm just me. And I just, like I said to you at the beginning, I, my thing is in spreading love and positivity. Yes. That's and I believe, point. and, and I, I, if I didn't say this, I, and I apologize if I'm being redundant, this has been a God given gift. I have not spent mm-hmm. my life writing. So did, so did you realize later in life that you had this talent? I mean, you didn't know it as a child? Oh, no, I never knew it as a child. Somebody heard, someone, a classmate of mine has since passed away, may she rest in peace, said, what do you mean she's writing? She never wrote when she was in school. I wrote a junior term paper because you didn't get out of the school I was in without the junior term paper. I think I wrote three papers in college and that was it. And all of a sudden I got on this thing. Well, okay, but there's something about writing papers that you're assigned to write that is, I found, always unpleasant. You know, satisfying somebody else's demand in the way of writing. But I'll tell you, you know, I I found something of my, I haven't mentioned this in forever, but when I was in grammar school, my mother, God bless her, absolutely refused to sign the uh, absent cards. You know, when you were absent. Every, every student got two cards to keep at home. And if you were at home sick, then your parents had to fill it out and sign it that you were home. And my mother refused. She said, I'm not signing anything. That's ridiculous. They should know that if you're not in school, you're home with me. I'm not signing anything. And I thought, oh, good. I was like in the third grade when she started. And I thought, okay, I've got the only mother in Hancock Park who was a total anarchist. <laughs> and part in the simplest... So, and I was, a, I was a pretty good forger. I had her handwriting down. So I would write my own notes and sign her name and turn them in. Oh, first I asked her if she would just sign two of them at the beginning of the semester. No, she had a real rebellious streak. I mean, I respect it. and <laughs> I really do love it, but at the t- moment, so I, I would fill it out and I would sign her name. And somehow I found those when in some, in some, uh, oh, and I do the same with report cards. <laughs> she didn't sign a report card. She just felt it was ridiculous. So I, I found a couple of these things and I looked at it and I was just horrified. They should have had me and my mother arrested. This was so clearly, I thought I was really a fine forger at the age of eight. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't hers, and it was clearly a child doing something larcenous. But they just accepted it, you know. And uh, so, my first, my first actual writing for a goal was that, and it worked out okay, only because I think my teachers were so kind. Yes, and they knew oh, my that's mother. Funny. Thanks for sharing that. That is hilarious. <laughs> You're calling your mother an anarchist. <laughs> Yes, she had a real streak. She had a don't hurt with me. 
And, and on the other hand, she was one of the most loving and she just, you know, people are all complicated. We all oh, have- totally. Yes. Anyway, I want to thank you for doing this with me. I'm so happy that we finally got to meet such as- Oh, why would you ever come down here? I would love to meet you. Well, someday, me. someday we will do that. We will. Yes. When thank this you is so all much over. for having me. Thank you for joining. I'm so glad we got to kind of see each other and um, my best to you. And I hope next year is, you know, just better. 2021 is going to be good. Good. Okay. Got to think that way. Okay. Take Remember care. what my friend said, God will supply. Okay. Well, I think, you know, humankind is ready for that. Amen. You know what? It was a tough lesson. Yes. Yeah. Real tough lesson. Oh, there are, a few, there are a few tough lessons embedded in this. What do you see? You know what? If you really, if you really want to, can I tell you, we live in a country of spoiled brats. <laughs> there are several, yes. I mean, I don't and know. And we also live in a country where people feel entitled. You know what? I'm sorry. I don't buy it. There's a lot of that. Okay, greed has taken over. And you know what? How much can somebody have? How many, what is enough? I mean, this is just, I'm not saying anything to you. I haven't said, you know, to people along the way, including my own kids, what is enough? Okay, sure, you can pay your bills, but you know what? The money can't always save you. It can't save you from having an accident. It can't save you from being ill. It can't. And you know what? I think this was, again, a tough lesson and a real eye-opener, and I hope people have learned I do too. I hope they've learned a lot of things. You know, when we were, when we were girls, I mean, I've, I've gone on about this ad nauseum, but the world population was 2 billion. Now it's topping eight and that's just not working out. You know, there's some other lessons, but as far as that having enough, I have too much stuff for sure. And I was talking to a friend of mine, a girlfriend of mine, after about three weeks of this isolation and sheltering at home and we were talking and she said, Oh, she said, you know, I'm just looking around. I mean, how many sweaters do we need? And she's got quite a wardrobe, so do I. She said, how many sweaters do we really need? And I said, one, the one I'm wearing every single day of my life. I don't bother with anything else. It doesn't matter. You're right. Yeah, I mean, Everything you know does. what? I mean, really it comes to, you know, what's important? I mean, it's like Miranda, my panda. People look elsewhere when everything they need is in front of them and they don't appreciate what they have in certain instances. And if it's taken away, they never knew that they had it. I mean, there are all kinds of lessons in what it is I do. By the way, that's that's a very good point because I, I think for most people, I know certainly for me, I get rid of stuff. You know, if I'm not wearing something or using something, I'm pretty severe about it. I put it in a bag and I find somebody who can use it and to whom God it's- God bless new. you. Well- You know what, I've done that over the years too and I'm trying to do more of it. I yeah. mean, how much, again, it's like I said, how much is enough? As long as I have a roof over my head and we have food to eat, okay, yep. and we can pay the bills, et cetera, so forth and so on. I mean, really, what's the bottom line on this? You but know? You know something? I think our habits for many people is so much of what we eat and what we buy and what we do is social stuff. You know, we go shopping mm -hmm. with a friend. We go into some, like you've got your, your necklace and your beautiful little charms there. And that that's, means something to you. But you know, we go on a shopping date. And so we end up buying a pair of shoes or another shirt. It's, it's nuts. So I think, yes, I think we have all learned 
I think that has really put a crimp in this. And I'm sorry that the economy is, you know, is suffering for it. Right. But you know what? Again, you know what? The world is never going to be as we as the normal we knew. It's going to be a new normal. Right. Okay. We're going to hope for that. And that, that I do. And you know what? I, I blessings on you. And thank you again so much for having me. I am just you have no idea. The smile was put in my heart and soul. I'm so happy. <laughs> I do. I, I really, I mean, I, you know what? It's a privilege for me. It really is. I want to get these out. I want to, I want to, I want to make a difference in people's lives, which I've already seen happen. I mean, people have told me this, but I, let me close with my motto. My motto is empowering children and adults through the wonderful world of children's literature. And that's what these have done. Good, good. And empowering strengths. Totally. Evidently you do. They do. Okay. Well, they I do. hope our paths will cross again down the line. I'm sure they will. Well, they will. So until next time, I'm just going to say goodbye from Love Letters Live. And we'll talk, we'll talk again in life. Oh, good. Oh, I hope so. Okay. Thank you, dear. Oh, you're adorable. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Happy New Year, sweetie. You too. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. Bye.